Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. You guys can have a seat. I actually am not going to be teaching up here uh, today, but what is happening is um, my mentor uh, for a little over a decade now is having the uh, pleasure of, of leading. In fact, if you've been with us at all, uh, about a year ago, he taught in this place, and so I'm really excited. He called me up this week, and he said I was supposed to go on a a hunting trip, but all the guys bailed on me, so do you want me to come preach? And I said, okay. I just stopped writing my sermon, and I said, come on over. And so he's actually going to be teaching. It worked out perfectly. He's going to be teaching in a text, in an idea that is really his bread and butter, Uh, We are in a series over the roles in the kingdom, and this morning he's talking about the role of being a disciple, a disciple, a follower. And so without further ado, Jason, come on up. This is uh, my friend, my Jason. Oh, look at that. You get cheered. You get cheered. Uh, But I will pass this on, um, but you are in good hands this morning, and I'm really excited for this. Thank you, Greg. I don't know how many of you guys have grown up in the church I did, but whether you've grown up in the church or not, once you walk into it, you'll hear this word disciple pretty regularly. Uh, When I I had run away from God as far as I could, and I found this place where it was like, you know what, life is not what I thought it was going to be going the complete opposite direction, I ended up saying, you know what, I got to figure this Christianity thing out. That way I know how I'm supposed to react. Is this something that I need to leave in my past and go, great, my parents were all about that. I've finally figured things out and I can live my own life. Or is this something that just God was saying, hey, I'm waiting, boy. I am waiting. There's a moment. I'm not going anywhere. I'm all places at all times. I'm here. Do you want to be here with me? And so I began to just study and just rip apart God's word to go, what is this? And the thing that kept coming out to me were these disciples that Jesus had. If you've read through the Gospels or heard any sermons about Matthew, Mark, any of these guys, Peter, you're just like, these guys are knuckleheads. What in the world? Like, why would you pick guys like this? And yet they become so foundational to everything that goes on inside the church. And so I was like, okay, so what is this whole disciple thing? I've heard it my whole life. What does it actually mean? And so I went back and I started to look into this concept of discipleship. And I thought Jesus had invented it. He didn't invent discipleship. Discipleship had really begun to rise within world cultures about 400 years before Jesus ever showed up. It starts within the Greek world. It starts with Plato. It starts with Aristotle. It starts with all of these famous, famous teachers. They would take to themselves the Greek word, and you can go home and say, I learned something really smart today if you hear nothing else. It's the word mathetes. That's the word disciple. And they would take these mathetes to themselves, and they would tell them, I have something you're looking for. I'm going to explain life to you. 
And the first thing that they would offer to them, and we saw not just Socrates and Plato and all these people explaining the whole worldview of life, we saw the word disciple used even for somebody who was a great horse rider. They would come to them and they would say, could I be your disciple? Could you teach me how to ride a horse as well as you ride a horse? And they would say, come on, you can be my disciple. So the first thing that discipleship was about was learning a skill. It was also about learning how to hammer iron so that you could make a sword or anything else. It was learning a trade. It was becoming an apprentice. Huh. I don't think I ever heard that concept in all my years in the church. When God was saying, come be my disciple, he was saying, come be my apprentice. Let me show you the skills of the trade. Let me show you how you could do things that you didn't know how to do before. The next thing that came up in that was that being a disciple was much like the Socrates and the Plato and all these people were still reading their books. How many years? Almost 2,500 years after they wrote this stuff down. And they didn't write it down. You know what they did? They would get a bunch of disciples together and they would say, I have insight into how the world is supposed to work. Your job is to listen so well and memorize it that when I'm dead and gone and nobody can listen to me anymore, you write it down. A lot of times when I grew up in the church, I thought that as Jesus was going along, he was telling these guys, okay, scribble this stuff down. Scribble all this stuff down. Make sure you don't lose it. No, they were being disciples. They were there to memorize Jesus' words and take them so much into their heart that anywhere they went, they could disseminate it. They could put those words out there. Is that what God's truth is to you? You've hidden his words in your heart so that you live from them, you can share them, you can speak them at any moment in the right time. You can explain, this is what life is supposed to be about. And that wasn't the end of it. There was another aspect of what discipleship was all about. It was one, about learning a skill or a trade. Two, it was about becoming a student and learning information. But the last one, and this one was more Jewish than all the other forms, it was to become a protege. It was to become the spitting image of the person that you trained under. In fact, there was a saying in the Jewish world, to be a disciple was to be covered in the dust of your master. To be so in line with them that if they commonly would brush their eyebrow when they talked, guess what you had to learn how to do when you talked? And people go, he's just like. That was the ultimate compliment of Jewish discipleship. That the character of that master had been transmitted that you became just like them. As I got into it, I went, oh my gosh, I, I thought Jesus showed up just to save me. Yeah, 
whole lot more. Because as he's walking around, he's saying over and over and over again, come, follow me. Come, be my disciple. Come, be my disciple. And when he's saying that, he's saying to anyone who with ears to hear, I want to show you what to do. I want to completely transform how you think. And I want to make you into a completely different being. I'm the master of life. In fact, I made it because I'm God come in human flesh. I am here to show you how to live. And when I got that, I ran. You know why I ran? I ran because of y'all. And I ran because of me. Because when I looked around the church, all these people who were supposed to be disciples of Jesus, I said, that ain't what I want to look like. That ain't what I want to do. That ain't what I want to say. That's not what I want to be. And so I went to all my friends and said, in essence, Hey, you show me how to live life. You hang around with your friends long enough and start looking at them for examples in your life, you'll figure out pretty fast. They don't know. They don't, all they know is how to get you in trouble. Then you start paying attention to your teachers or people on TV that you think, man, they got it together. You listen long enough, they don't know. They don't have it figured out. And then you might take a step further and go down the road I went to was, okay, well, here's Jesus. He's just a great teacher. And we've had some great teachers. We've had Moses. We've had Muhammad. We've had Buddha. We've had all the, and I looked at all these different religious teachers to be able to try to understand what life was because I did not want to go and follow Jesus. And I looked and I looked and I looked. I was like, this is not making sense and then I heard this quote it's from this guy who lived in England about a hundred years ago really really smart really had some problems with Christianity his name if you ever want to go read his stuff he's insightful his name's G.K. Chesterton and G.K. says this he says it's not that Christianity has been tried and found lacking It's that Christianity has been largely left untried. This is all about getting into school with Jesus. And you guys been students? If if your enrollment in that school was based upon how well you applied yourself to the educational process, would many people have wanted to go to your school? Probably not. And when we base Christianity off the students and not the master, we've missed the point. Because he's the one who wants to teach. He's the one who wants to transform. He's the one who wants to make all things new. And so I said, all right, maybe, maybe I don't understand who Jesus really is. 
Because what I've been doing in my whole life, I've been looking at mom. I've been looking at pastor. I've been looking at this person and that person. And they're just his students. He has more. He has life itself to explain. So who was Jesus? And when I began to look at him and really dig in, he did a few things differently than other people did. He knew how to heal people. He knew how to speak prophetically. He knew how to bring life from death. He knew how to meet the broken and speak truth in a way that drew them instead of condemn them. Over and over and over again, Jesus showed up and people wanted to be there. They wanted him. 2,000 years from that point, who are people still talking about and what he did? Because he was that incredible. And he still is. Not only did he do life differently, he also had a few different things to say. We're still talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemy. It's good to love your Even the most gang-banging fool in the world does what? Is what Jesus' words Loves their friends. Loves the people who are in that place with them. That ain't anything special. Love your, love your enemies. Not only that, pray for those who what? Who abuse you. And he did it. And he spoke it in such a way that people's minds just got blown up all over the place. And we're still talking about it, trying to go, how do, you, how do you do this? How do you really, really, really love a spouse who cheats on you? How do you really, really, really care for a friend who got you in jail and then get, what, get to walk free? How do you really, really care and love and live this life? Let me drop truth bombs on you over and over and over is what he had to say. And we're still reading through his words going, I want to know. I want to know. And not only that, he was a completely different man. He loved when you shouldn't have loved. He was happy when you shouldn't have been happy. He was patient when you should have been pushing. On the cross, he says, Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Have you ever said that in your life? In the car? At home with your kids? Whoo! I've said they don't know what they're doing. Very few times have I said. <laughs> Who he was was completely different. When I really got to get into not what everybody else told me Jesus was all about. 
But what his disciples said, we were there. We paid attention and we're going to be gone. This can't be forgotten. Let's write this down. And it passed from generation to generation to generation. I have looked, in my opinion, at every single person I could possibly ever look at to be able to find that master who could mentor me who could show me what life is about. And where I came to is I said, there is no one like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus. And he says, come, come and follow me. Follow me. Just walk in my footsteps. And when I thought about it, I was like, there's kind of a problem here. Uh, you have died and gone into the heavens. So where yet? It's going to be kind of hard to follow you if you're not something I can see, touch, taste, and feel. Then, here's the other part. Well, it's great you were incredible, but I'm just a man. I'm just a woman. And you are not just a man, you are God. Come in human flesh. There's no way I could ever be like you. This is a false claim. Come follow me. You could be like me. No, I can't. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. How? How did Jesus do all the incredible things that he did? How did Jesus speak all the incredible truths that he spoke? How did Jesus be the incredible person that he was? One of the first hymns of the church shows up in Philippians chapter 2. And the writers that wrote that song down for us said, let's, let's have the same way of thinking that Jesus did. He was God himself, and he did what with his godhood? He set it to the side is literally what it says. All his rights, privileges, all the things that he could do, right there. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, he had to be made just like us, just like us. Otherwise, he couldn't lead us. Did Jesus know everything? No. Could Jesus do all the miracles that he could do? No. Could Jesus be all the Godhead he could be? No. Otherwise, he wasn't. He wasn't human. You know everything? Can you transport yourself at any moment? Can you still the seas? And you're going, okay, where are we going here? Because this is getting pretty heretical. I'm, a, I'm a like, I thought I understood Jesus. I thought I understood what this whole thing was about. He's playing with my mind now. I might be, Greg, should he take a seat at this moment? Why did Jesus go into the desert? 
No. 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 Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Why did Jesus go into the desert? Because the Holy Spirit led him. Jesus is dead, buried, and resurrected. Acts chapter 1, verse 2. He comes back to talk and teach all these. He's resurrected from the dead. You resurrect from the dead, you're like, okay, I got this down at this point. I can make this thing happen. And it says that he comes back, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and he does everything that the Spirit tells him to do. What's the Spirit called in Christian theology? It's called the what Spirit? The Holy Spirit. What does holiness relate to? Being perfect. Being God. How did Jesus live the perfect life? He lived by the Spirit. Every single moment of every single day, he simply said whatever the Spirit told him to say, whatever the Spirit asked him to do, whatever the Spirit created in him, he just brought it to be. And all of a sudden, a light went off in my head and I was like, oh my goodness. This is why Jesus said, it's a good thing I'm leaving. Because the moment I leave, what do I give to you? The Holy Spirit. And where does the Holy Spirit live? In us and through us and everywhere. Where could you go and flee from his spirit? If you went to the heights, he'd be there. If you went to the depths, he'd be there too. If you go to school, he's right there. You go to work, you go home, you go anywhere. Who invades every place, every time, everything? The spirit of the living God and through Jesus' gift, he has given us the spirit of God. That spirit of God, John chapter 14, Jesus said, he is going to what us in truth? He's going to guide us. Guide us into the truth. He's going to teach us. How did Jesus live the perfect life? He was taught by the Spirit of God. You go all the way through the Gospels. The things I say, I say because the Spirit led me to say them. The things I do, I do because the Spirit led me to say them. And now the same spirit that lived in Jesus and led him to utmost perfection lives and dwells in me. And all I wanted was forgiveness. I missed something somewhere. You, you want me to be your disciple. And the teacher who taught you is now going to teach me and show me all the things I need to do, all the things that I need to be, and all the things that I need to know. This is why Jesus said, what did he say? He said, the things that I'm doing, you all will do what? Even, what? 
That word greater doesn't mean better. It means more, abundant. Jesus was around for 30 years. He did some incredible stuff. You know what the church of Jesus Christ has been doing for 2,000 years? They've been prophesying. They've been raising the dead. They've been seeing healings. They've been meeting people in dark places and loving them. They've been doing all the works of Jesus for years and decades and centuries. I'm not done is what Jesus was saying. I'm not even close to done. If you become my disciples, my work transforms and goes past and goes beyond you. And the works you even see, guess what I want to do in your babies? What I want to do in their grandchildren? Come to me. Come follow me. And I will do greater things. The truths that Jesus laid out, we've been writing books for how many years? A few. Our understanding of life and how the spirit is at work and everything else, he has continued to teach us. He taught us so well that in Acts chapter 4, these guys who were knuckleheads, these guys who didn't know anything, end up being brought into the Sanhedrin. Okay? Sanhedrin is the greatest group of eggheads in all of Israel at the time. They know everything. It'd be like getting in trouble and not just be being brought into the principal's office, it would be being brought into the Ivy League college that has the most smart brilliant people in the whole entire nation and they say you think that's a good idea you'd cower Peter and John go this is what it is what's what's the reaction of all the elders in Acts chapter 4 and now I get to show you how old I am Acts chapter 4, verse 13, I think is what it is. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Through the Spirit's teaching and leading, you can be wiser than the wisest person in this whole entire world. Do you believe that? Because that's what discipleship is. The God of this universe who knows everything offers to transform the way you think to help you understand life that when people listen to you, you're like, truth bomb, truth bomb, truth bomb. Tr They're just a normal person. How can they speak so insightfully into my marriage? How can they provide such insight for our workplace? H how do they know this? Because the Spirit of God lives in us offering you discipleship, offering you how to learn, how to become just like him. 
Not just to do what he did, not just to know what he knew, but to become like he was. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience. You follow the Spirit, what kind of person do you become? Not just loving, the most loving. Within 2,000 years, who are we still talking about as the most loving human being who's ever walked the face of the earth? It's Jesus. And it's not because God came to this earth. It was because he just never stopped following the Spirit. How much more loving could you become? When do you need to shut your mouth in love? The Spirit knows. And he wants to teach you. When do you need to step out and say the hardest thing at the hardest time to the hardest person in your world? The Spirit knows. And he wants to grow that love in you. It isn't going to happen tomorrow. When you enrolled in school as a five-year-old, did you know what you knew by 12th grade? Because every day that your teachers taught and you didn't just listen, but you put it into practice and you thought about it and you rolled it over and you talked with other people about it, you became more and more of what you could have never imagined. I know the plans I have for you. I know why I made you. I know what I want you to say. I know who I want you to be. I know what I want you to do. Will you simply just follow me? Be my disciple. That insight finally grabbed me so deeply that I was brought to a choice, a place that Jesus regularly in his life brought lots of other people you see it, right? You're getting it, right? Tracking, right? Do you want it? Do you want this? Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? And most of us, if we've heard half of this, we go, yeah, yeah, that's, that sounds like a good idea. I was like, okay, do I really want this? Is there, is there a catch? How do I become a disciple? And the first thing that Jesus says, is he says, what? You can throw it up there, Greg. Baptism? I've been baptized. I did that when I was like eight years old. In the ancient world, when you became a disciple of someone, and you can put that verse up there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you went and you were baptized by them. What's your name, ma'am? What's that? Kevin. Kevin. If Kevin wanted to be a disciple of Jesus, what would happen? is that he would come to Jesus and Jesus would baptize him. 
And what that was a symbol of, and everybody got it, they used it, the Greeks use it, the Jews use it, everybody use it. Once you went under the water, and you can remember this if you had a brother and you played in the pool, you, you surrendered yourself to their baptism, you were that close to death. They were just about to drown you. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And if you read that passage and follow along, Paul's dealing with the church that got baptized by him and Paul baptized them. So guess what these people are saying? I'm a Paul. And other people got baptized by other people and they said, hey, I'm an Apollos. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You've missed a really, really important point. Because discipleship isn't just letting anybody teach you how to live life. Discipleship is about being mentored by a master. And guess what I am? I'm just a student. I'm just a student. This is why you look throughout all of scripture and all the greatest teachers never had disciples. All the greatest teachers in Christianity never had people they called their disciples because they were only ever disciples of the one and only true master, Jesus Christ. And how do we have access? Because through his spirit, he is now eternally present, guiding and teaching and making us like him. few other people had been baptized as well. Jesus had been baptized. If you remember the story, he's baptized in the waters. And what happens when he comes out of the waters? Something lands on him. A dove, the, the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus when he came to him in the night? He said, unless you're born of water and of the Spirit. When the early apostles go out and share the gospel, people say, oh, I've been baptized. And he says, have you been baptized in the Spirit? For Jesus, it happened simultaneously. For some of us, it's a second act. It isn't just there were waters there. My life was taken away and the life was raised again and filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit that will lead and guide me. It doesn't matter what my past has been. It doesn't matter if I'm as good as God himself. I do what with that life? I lay it down. And that's the next thing that stood out. You want to be my follower? You want to be my disciple? Jesus says, you have to do what? You have to take up your cross and what? Die to yourself. It doesn't show up in English as well as it does in Greek. That dying isn't a one-time verb. It's a continual verb that every time I look at Kevin, what I see is I see Kevin on a cross. 
For how long? For an eternity. What? Like I, I thought like this life was just where we lost ourselves. Whatever we hold on to, whatever we hold on to, What does God have planned for you? What does he have planned for you next week? What does he have planned for you next month, next year? What does he have planned for you five billion years from now in eternity if we keep time that way? I know the plans I have for you. Are you willing to let that life go and keep an open hand to receive all, all that I have planned for you. I don't know if any of you guys like the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis. In one of the very last scenes, there's this really cool mouse my girls loved. His name's Reepicheep. He's just got way more courage than he should as a mouse. And he reaches the heavenly state. And it's almost like, it's there. We've made it. And Reepicheep turns around and he says to all the others, further up and deeper in. If God is infinitely good and infinitely wise and infinite in all things. You could follow him for 50 billion gazillion years and how close are you reaching his fullness? No closer than when you started. The God of this universe did not just come to forgive you for your past. He came to meet you in your present and to change your life to change how you speak, to change what you do, to change who you are. And we wrestle at this time in this brokenness, and it's hard. And no matter how hard it is, when he releases us into final perfection, he will stand ahead of us and say, and there's more, and there's more, and there's more. Come and Follow me. Come see me. Come. I have no limit to my goodness. You want to be a disciple? You can't get to be a disciple unless you really truly believe that who and what you have is not enough. And it never will be. Almost 30 years ago, kid who was going to change the world 
who was smarter than what he found out he actually was. <laughs> who had more relationships and more reached the end of himself. And he had a choice. You gonna keep trying? Or are you ready to give up? Because I'm ready to teach you. I'm ready to change you. I'm willing to make everything new. I was eight weeks away from graduating with my college degree. And I dropped out of school. I packed up everything that I had and drove to the school that was going to help me to finally put my life together. And everything got stolen. And I said, I want to follow you and this is the first steps. You don't have anything except I give it to you, boy. Am I not enough? Let's start at the ground floor. Yeah, you are enough. Okay. Come follow me. Oh, that, that, that girl over there, you like her. I want you to marry her. But I'm going to go to seminary. I got it all planned. I got all the things I'm going to be doing. No, no, no. I know the plans I have for you. There you go. But I said I wasn't going to date for a year. I, I, I know how to plan my whole life out. Who, who, who's the teacher here? Come follow me. Oh, six months in and she's packing her bags. Because you're an idiot. And any woman with two cents would have been heading out that door. What? Why, why this kind of a relationship? Because you are not the man you need to be and we need to start a work. I could take weeks telling you how the God of this universe has consistently, consistently led me by his spirit to do things I would have never planned in a million years. And most of the time, it's the exact opposite of the plan I had. You would think after this long, I'd figure it out. Consistently, he has downloaded information and given me insights that have spoken truth into people's lives that they have walked away. I am a changed person and I run into them five years, 10 years later, and guess what? They're changed people because I'm a stinking brilliant person. Not at all. Because the spirit of truth sees the heart and knows what to reveal at the right moment in the right time. 
The person I was is not the person I am today. And the person I am today better not be the person you meet next year. Because he goes out in front of me and all of us and says, come on, come on, there's more. Come on, there's more. Come follow me. Do you want to be my disciple? Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like, that's interesting, but I, I kind of feel like I got my life together, finally. I, I, I really don't want to give all this goodness up. I don't know where it would go. I, I, in Matthew chapter 19, there's a young man who shows up. From the other gospels, we know that he's the rich, young ruler. How many of you guys would like to be rich? How many of you would like to be forever young? How many of you would love to be in control of this country so you could put it in order or in charge of your family or whatever? Give me the power. I can make it happen. The rich young ruler shows up in front of Jesus. He has everything in our world that at one point we all say, if I had this, life would be good. He shows up to Jesus, the one who has it all, and says, what do I need to do so that I can have eternal life? By simply asking that question, what is he saying? I don't have, I don't have it all. I'm missing something. I don't have eternal life. And Jesus does this back and forth with him. And he says, if you want eternal life, what do you got to do? Go sell everything. Go sell everything and do what? Follow me. What do we know follow me means? Come be my. When he wants eternal life, Jesus says, you want eternal life? Come be my disciple. John 17, 3 says eternal life is not something we're waiting for. This is eternal life that they may know God. Not just information about it. The eternal one. How long does God live? He lives for an eternity. Who started life and created life? The God. Eternal life is God. And this is why Jesus says you want eternal life? It's right here. If you want eternal life, come follow me. And what would he have every single moment if he stuck with Jesus? He'd have eternal life. You think you got everything? You're missing something. He offers you the most present, intimate relationship with the source of all goodness, the one who is true love, true patience, true wisdom, true goodness. The disciples hear this and they go, then who could be saved? 
When he walks away from discipleship, what does this boy walk away from? He walks away from salvation. Because salvation isn't just being forgiven from your past, it's being healed in your presence and promised future perfection over here. Anyone who sets their hand to the plow and walks away, And not only that, when he ends it at the end of chapter 19, he says, and all you knuckleheads, one day when the end comes, you're going to be seated on what? You're going to be seated on a throne and you're going to judge all of the nations and many of us who've grown up in the church have never made our way to the last verses in Revelation chapter 22 when it says, when it all goes down, when it's all done, and his servants will rule with him for an eternity. He didn't just come to forgive you. He came to make disciples. He came to make disciples. This is why the Great Commission, the Great Commission is wherever you go, make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them how to obey everything, everything I've commanded you. I stand up here today, a former pastor out of work. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit told me to resign. I have a PhD. I have 30, min 30 years of ministry experience. You check every human box of what I should be doing with my life and where should I be this Sunday morning? Every human box is the last place I should be. I should be running my own congregation, build my own flock. I chose 30 years ago to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Why am I standing here today? Because somebody or somebody's today needs to make the same choice. Come and follow me. Will you today? Father, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you that you came to make disciples.
that you came to teach us a different way. That you came to make us new. Father, I pray that in every heart here today there would be a holy discontent. A willingness to say, it's not enough. I'm not enough. But you are. I want more of you. I need greater wisdom. I need to be a better person. I need to know what to do at this moment. And that we would be filled with a deep abiding confidence by your indwelling spirit to say, I will lead you into all truth. Leave the past behind no matter how bad it was, no matter how good you think it is. It's never enough in comparison to the all-perfect one. And if your son could make that choice to lay everything down, to simply be taken up, led by, and filled with your spirit, I want the same thing. Do a work in my life today. Do a work in our lives today. Make us new. Make us like you. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.